If you would, uh, turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, as we'll be looking at uh, the entire chapter, all 48 verses this morning. Uh, Today is uh, just going to be a standalone sermon. Uh, We're going to talk primarily about evangelism. I think this is important for us to consider as we start a new year. Uh, Next week, we'll begin our first sermon series together, walking through a book of the Bible. And so I am looking forward to that with great anticipation. I hope that you uh, come next week as we begin that series together. Uh, But again, we find ourselves this morning in Acts chapter 10. I have said on a couple of occasions from this pulpit that I am concerned about the pragmatism that has taken over the American church in our day over the past several decades. Uh, And when I mean pragmatism, I I speak to this idea that truth, what is true, is based on tangible results that we achieve through practical efforts. Another way to think about this is that we measure success in our churches on things that we can touch and see and feel, results, uh, numbers, numeric things. Uh, And this is something I think we could expect in a Western world because we tend to be, as Westerners, very results-oriented. We want to see results to the work that we've put in. We want to be intentional to bring about numbers and, and, and success in the things that we look to achieve. What's difficult for us, though, as the church, is that success, according to the Word of God, is not necessarily something that we can measure and touch and see and feel. How are we to measure biblical health in a church? How are we to measure faithfulness to the preaching of the Word and discipleship and evangelism and fellowship in our church? How do you measure steadfastness through a season of persecution? It is hard, if not impossible, to do so. And so as the church, we must rest in the promises of Christ, that Christ has already promised and guaranteed the results. He calls us simply to be faithful as his bride until he comes. And so as I see it, pragmatism threatens the health of the church, It threatens the integrity of the gospel, and it threatens to undermine our conviction that the Word of God is authoritative and sufficient for all of life and godliness. But in regards to our passage this morning, in more more specific terms, I see that pragmatism also threatens missions and evangelism in the church. I've seen this firsthand as a missionary on the mission field, how methodology and, and, and ideas and theories overwhelm the authority of God's word when it comes to how we engage a lost and dying world with the gospel. Um, how do you measure a faithful brother in Christ who's given 30 years of his life in Africa faithfully preaching the gospel and he's only seen one person come to faith? In the eyes of the world, they might say, well, that's not success, but let me recommend this morning, in the economy of God, there is great success in that brother's faithfulness. And when it comes to the church and evangelism, uh, 
pragmatism has impacted us, I think, in two ways. First of all, there's this idea that we need to outsource evangelism to the professionals. We pay the pastor, we pay the missionaries, and we pay the evangelists to do the task of evangelism. But recently in our day, uh, we see this, I, this understanding that people in the church, the average uh, pew sitter in, in a church this Sunday morning isn't sharing their faith. And so, well, let's train them. Let's give them tools to teach them how to share the gospel. And yet people still are not sharing the gospel. They're not proclaiming the gospel. What we see is, is that evangelism becomes another burden to us on our Christian religious checklist of things that we're just supposed to do each and every day. Dear friend, let me encourage you this morning as we consider evangelism. Evangelism is not a burdensome obligation. It is a joy-filled act of obedience to Christ our Master. And it should be full of compassion for a lost and dying world. Uh, I've mentioned before John Payton is one of my heroes of the faith. He was a missionary to the uh, New Hebrus Islands in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, and the, the people that were living on the island were known as cannibals. And so when he was telling his church of his desire to go to them and preach the gospel to them, uh, there was one man in particular who uh, gave some resistance to uh, John. And in his journal, John spoke of this man. He said, Among many who sought to deter me from going was one dear old Christian gentleman whose crowning argument always was, The cannibals! You will be eaten by cannibals! At last I replied, Sir, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. May God raise up a generation like John Payton's who does not look to the frills and the, the fame and fortune that comes through social media feeds and all of these, but that we would have a generation that rises up, who has a desire to take the name of Christ to those who have yet to hear and who are willing to give their lives for such a thing. And this will only would come when we grasp the reality of evangelism and missions according to Scripture and Scripture alone. Now, I want to preface what I'm about to say with this. I have given most of my adult life to training and teaching people how to share their faith. Training in evangelism is important. The how of evangelism is most definitely important, but we cannot put the cart before the horse. We must first wrestle with the why of evangelism. All of the evangelistic tools of our day are for nothing if we are not burdened this morning for obedience to Christ and burdened for the lostness of our world. And this is something that only God can do in us through his spirit within and his word without. We must return to the word. The passage that we come to this morning, we're going to see that God miraculously prepares the hearts of people from every nation to hear and believe the gospel. 
If you'd look with me, beginning in verse 1 of Acts chapter 10, we're going to read through this whole passage together, so stay with me. Beginning in verse 1, it says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius! And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, "'Rise, Peter, kill and eat.'" But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. The voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, 
But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news and peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. Beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked to remain, asked him to remain for some days. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. I have a desire as we look at this passage this morning, and that it is for us to have a longing and a desire to preach Christ to the nations, not because of anything I have said, but because of the word of God's power to change our lives. And that the Holy Spirit would convict us this morning of the delight of evangelism and the urgency of evangelism. So I want us to consider these two things this morning. First, the delight of evangelism. What is the delight of evangelism? Well, it is that God sovereignly draws to himself from every nation and tribe people who fear and seek him. And the delight this morning is as his people, he has called us to this glorious task. Notice the divine preparation of two men here in chapter 10. First, we see the divine preparation of one named Cornelius. He is a centurion. Uh, He is a high-ranking official in the Roman army. He has many people under his authority. He is well-respected by those who are around him. But the writer tells us more about him. He is also one who is devout. He fears God. He gives alms. He prays regularly. He is seeking after Yahweh, but he has one grand problem, and that is he is a Gentile. He is only able to worship God as best as he knows how, but he's seeking after the Lord. John MacArthur said of Cornelius, he had lived up to the light he had, and God was about to give him more. And so an angel comes to him in a vision, much like we've seen the past two Sundays, an angel coming to people and giving a message. And just like Zechariah and Elizabeth, their prayers came to the Lord as they were desiring to have a child. Here Cornelius' prayer comes to the Lord. He's been seeking after the Lord, wanting to know how to find life. And he tells for him to send for Peter. Notice the divine preparation of Peter. Cornelius has sent out these three servants to find Peter. Verse 9 tells us they are on their way to Peter's house. And what is Peter doing? Well, he's, he's got his afternoon planned. He's going up to the housetop to pray. He's going to eat. His afternoon is ready and planned for him. And yet God has something far greater in store for him. All that Peter has ever known 
And the entire course of centuries of Jewish belief and worship and customs are about to be radically changed. This is a turning point in the history of the nation of Israel. This is a turning point in the grand narrative of Scripture as we see a shift from the old covenant to a new and better covenant. And so Peter has this this vision uh, of this, this sheet coming down, and you'll notice the things on the sheet are these animals that we know according to Old Testament law that Jews were not allowed to eat, and, and the Lord Jesus himself tells Peter to kill and eat. Peter's a little bit offended by this. He says, by no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And so Christ says to him again, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happens three times. Now, There's two important themes that we need to identify here for just a moment in this vision. First one is very practical, and that is in this vision we see that the food laws of the old covenant are fulfilled and ended in Jesus. Christ comes and establishes a better covenant. And so these regulations of the old covenant are now no longer necessary. But secondly, the second theme we see here, and more importantly to the text, is that the people that the laws kept Jews separated from are not to be considered unclean or common any longer. If you remember back to our, our study on unity, we looked at the book of Ephesians and we saw there the dividing wall of hostility between the Jews and Gentiles. We know of the hostility, the resentment that these two groups had for one another. Jews and Gentiles did not associate with one another. They were considered, as the text says here, common and unclean, which means rejected and despised. But now, Peter knows that God rules no one out of his favor based on race, ethnicity, or cultural or physical distinctives. Now, he might not completely fathom that, because verse 17 tells us that he is inwardly perplexed. He's wrestling with this. This is a big message that has come to him, but we'll see here in a moment that he responds in obedience to the message. Um, What we consider here then is that there is no longer a single person on the face of the earth that we should think of as common or unclean. I want us to to consider a couple things here though as we think about evangelism and how we go about evangelism. What we see here in this story is not normative in our evangelism efforts. This is not the norm. What do I mean by that? First of all, we shouldn't sit around in our houses and wait for people to knock on our doors who are eager to hear the gospel. That's not how it works. This is not the norm. Nor should we only share the gospel with seekers like Cornelius. We share the gospel with rebels Paul was a rebel. The Philippian jailer was a rebel. Everyone needs the gospel. We preach Christ to all men regardless of their, their, their state of thinking, whether they're seeking after God or they are rebelling against God. And so the joy then and the delight of evangelism is in the truth that there are some who are right now, like Cornelius, who are seeking after God and are ready to respond in faith to Christ. Cornelius isn't the only seeker. We see other seekers in the book of Acts. We see the Ethiopian eunuch. We see Lydia. And I believe right now as we sit in this place, there are people throughout this globe that God is working in their hearts and minds in these very moments to draw them to himself. And they might not know it, 
And they might not be as religious and respected as Cornelius, but there are most certainly people. We must then go to them with the gospel. How are they to believe unless they hear? Many of us have heard stories of missionaries who go door to door in villages, or maybe they do prayer walking through marketplaces or uh, different areas in their city, and they encounter someone who will say to them something like, I've been waiting for you. Uh, maybe they've had a dream or a vision where Jesus says, you need to wait for this person who's going to bring you the gospel, or, or they're going to bring you a Bible so you can know how to come to faith in Christ. These stories are incredible, but what's important about these stories is that they can only happen if someone goes and shares the gospel with them. I think about a time that I was flying in a plane over a water village in Southeast Asia, and I was just overwhelmed with a sense of brokenness for the lostness of the people in that village. And I prayed, Lord, draw those people to yourself. And it was almost instantly that the Holy Spirit convicted me but if someone doesn't go to them with the gospel, they will not have a chance to believe. So two points of application here as we consider the delight of evangelism and participating in what God is doing to draw people to himself. First, in reaching the lost, we must engage everyone with the gospel. We do not know who God is drawing to himself, but also Christ commands us to go to all peoples, the gospel is for all people, not just the people who look and think like us. The message of the gospel is for the homeless and for the Muslim. The message for the, of the gospel is for those who are living in complete and utter rebellion against God. It is for all people. And so if we could say this morning that we can't share with someone based on their background or their religion or their socioeconomic state, we must truly ask, do we possess saving faith? Secondly, though, in our application of this, we need to be people who share often and faithfully, knowing that God is preparing people now to respond in faith to the gospel. Let what drives you to joy and delight and faithfulness and sharing Christ with others be the reality that the guy who takes your order at McDonald's this afternoon might be ready to respond in faith right there in the drive-thru. That's exciting. That is liberating in our evangelism that in any moment when we share Christ with someone, we have no idea what God has been doing in their lives leading up to that point, and they could come to faith then and there. Share with that type of excitement and joy and delight, knowing that God is at work in ways we could never begin to fathom. Have that type of expectation. So we see here the delight of evangelism, but we turn our attention then from the divine preparation of these two men to a divine appointment between this Gentile heathen and Peter himself. We see secondly here then the urgency of evangelism. That gospel proclamation always precedes belief in Christ and forgiveness of sins. Notice several things that we see here about gospel proclamation in the passage here. First, we see that gospel proclamation flows from a life that is committed to obedience to Christ. Look at how Peter just interacts with these Gentiles here in, in receiving this message from Christ and this message from the Holy Spirit. Uh, verse 20, it, it, he's given two commands to go down and accompany them without hesitation. Peter could have just kicked these guys out. 
No one would have thought anything else of it because these were Gentile heathens who had gathered at his door, but he went down to them. He greeted them. He obeyed. Verse 23, don't miss this. It says that he had them as his guest. First of all, Jews would not provide lodging for Gentiles. But commentators will point out that the phrase here, uh, them in to be his guests, speaks to the fact that Peter gave them the red carpet treatment. He treated them as if they were family in his home. This gives us a sense to the fact that Peter is walking in obedience to Christ. Then in verse 26, when Cornelius bows down before him, he says to him, stand up, I too am a man. Peter himself had stood in the presence of Christ. He could have allowed this man in his pride to worship him, and yet he says to him, rise, I am just a man. Then in verses 28 and 29, he says to them, you know how unlawful it is for me to be in this house with you. He feels the weightiness and the awkwardness, if you will, of this situation. And yet God called him. So look at what the text says. He came without hesitation. He came without objection, regardless of all of the the intricacies of his working and dealing and talking with these Gentiles. He was faithful to what Christ had called him to do. He willingly entered into an extremely uncomfortable situation, but he had done it with all of his heart out of obedience to Christ. Secondly, notice that gospel proclamation also calls for obedience in the ears of the hearer to Christ. Cornelius has already shown a pattern of obedience before he hears the gospel later in verses 34 through 43. We see this early on where he has already sent out his men in obedience to the vision that he had. Um, He also shows his obedience by being prepared to receive all that Peter has from the Lord. You get a sense here that Cornelius and those who were gathered there were just ready to respond in faith right there. But something had to happen first. The third thing we see here about gospel proclamation is it requires opening our mouths. This is so important. Do not miss this. We must open our mouths and preach Christ if people are going to come to faith in Jesus. How is it that we receive forgiveness of sins? Well, luckily, uh, Luke, the writer of Acts, helps us out here by quoting Peter in verse 43. He tells us, how do we receive forgiveness of sins? Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. We come to salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But how is it that we come to this knowledge? It is through the proclamation of the gospel. It is through hearing the gospel proclaimed. Look again at verse 34. What does it say here? Luke highlights this about Peter. Peter opened his mouth. This is essential. We must open our mouths and be heralds of the gospel if people are to come to faith in Christ. In fact, commentators will say here that Luke, by writing this phrase, is saying to us that what Peter is about to say in verses 34 through 35 is of great importance. That Luke is highlighting to us here the importance of proclamation. So Peter opens his mouth, and what is it that he says? He preaches Christ. He proclaims the gospel. You can see it there for yourself in the text. Life, death, and resurrection of Christ, and that's it. And then he calls them to belief in Christ to bring about forgiveness of sins. Listen, the gospel does not need to be glamorized. 
You do not have to have a seminary degree or be eloquent in speech to share Christ with someone and them to come in faith. All that people need to hear is of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, and the Holy Spirit can save people from death and bring them into life. What Cornelius needed to hear to be saved was a simple yet profound message. Because despite his sincerity and his devotion, he could not be saved apart from hearing and understanding the good news of the gospel. Now, just a side note here, but I think it's of importance. Look at verse 35. Peter says, In every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Some will take this and they'll teach a type of universalism that says that as long as people are religious and seek God in their own way, they will all be accepted before God. This idea that God is at the top of a mountain and religions are just the different roads that lead up to the top of the mountain. We're all going to the same place. This is heresy. Salvation is in Christ, in Christ alone. Um, That devout, God-veering people who practice what's right as best as they know how, possess salvation void of the gospel, is simply not true. And we know this to be true for a couple of reasons. First of all, we know this to be true because of what Scripture says as a whole. When we come to verses like verse 35 that are hard to understand, how do we interpret them? Well, we use the chief tool of interpretation of Scripture, and that is that Scripture interprets Scripture. And so scripture tells us as a whole that devoutness and works of charity and religious sincerity do not solve the problem of sin. The only hope is to believe in Jesus. But it's not just scripture as a whole, it's the context of verses 34 through 43. If in verse 35 they're good because of their fear and and their, their devoutness and their religious aptitude, Why is it then that Peter follows verse 35 with a presentation of the gospel and a call to belief in Christ? It's because they needed to hear in order to believe. uh, Peter didn't show up at Cornelius' house and say, hey guys, congratulations, you're in. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep giving alms, keep uh, being religious, doing all of these things. No, and this is crucial. Because if gospel proclamation always precedes belief in Christ and forgiveness of sins, that means if people are to be saved from their sins, they must first hear the gospel. No matter how religious a tribe in the mountains of China might be, unless they hear the gospel and respond in faith and repentance, their eternity is set in hell. Seeking God does not save Religion does not save. Generosity does not save. Only grace through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ can save. And this is the urgency of evangelism. That right now, as we sit in this place, there are millions of people who will live on this earth an entire life and die and not once hear that Jesus saves. I think of a pastor friend of mine uh, named Pastor Q, we'll call him Pastor Q, uh, living in the really remote part of our island. Nobody knew he was there. Nobody really knew what he was doing. And he and his wife were burdened for the outcasts that were living in a water village outside their town. 
And they just said, if, if we don't go to them with the gospel, how will they ever have a chance to believe in Christ? And so they stepped out of their comfort zone. They went into this water village and started to preach Christ, and people started to come to faith in Christ. Our team heard of this, and so we had to meet this guy. So we traveled across our island to meet him. Uh, and upon meeting him, he took us to this water village. We went up into this hut that's over the water on these stilts. It's just about 10 feet by 10 feet. It's made of just plywood and scraps and all of these things. And about 30 brothers and sisters in Christ come in. And they gather for worship. And all there is in that place is a, a little tiny pulpit and the Bible. And they sit on the floor and they listen eagerly to the word of God preached. They pray and they sing. And it was the most joyous worship service I've ever been a part of. Of people who are the lowest and most marginalized people in the world. They had literally, all they had was the clothes on their back. And they were there gathered as the body of Christ to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. All because one person said, I will go and preach Christ to those who have yet to hear. Now listen. Not everyone is called to enter water villages in the remotest parts of the world and preach Christ. I understand that. But every follower of Christ is called to obey the great command of our Lord Jesus to make disciples here in San Antonio and to the ends of the earth. So two points of application then in light of this. First, we need to be more intentional in sharing the gospel Set aside time to go out with someone with the, the specific goal of preaching Christ, sharing Christ. I am admittedly an introvert, and I am not gifted at just walking up to strangers and striking up conversation. And so if I'm not intentionally setting aside time to go and do this, chances are I'm just going to stay in my safe little Christian bubble and never preach Christ to others. Consider a time where you and your wife or a friend might go to a park or a mall with the goal of preaching Christ. But also, also intentionality can be something that you do in the workplace or in your neighborhood. Think of ways that you can shift the workplace conversation to the spiritual. Think of ways that you can take the conversation with your neighbor and turn it to the things of God. Don't just be satisfied to talk about sports and the weather. Think about intentionally, how can I at the workplace or in my neighborhood or in my very home Shift the conversation to the things of God. But maybe for you this morning, being intentional is that in the coming year you commit to going on a mission trip where you say, I want to go to those who have yet to hear and I preach Christ to them. Secondly, though, we need to be prepared. Again, Peter, he had his afternoon planned. He was going up to the housetop. He was going to pray and eat, but God had something else in store for him. Being prepared to share Christ with others might mean that it gets you off of your shopping rhythm at Walmart. Trust me, when I go to Walmart and my wife has given me a list of things, I am focused in on that list like a laser. And nothing will distract me from that list. I'm there, I've got a task, I'm not talking to anybody. Leave me alone because I've got to find the right Cheerios for my kids. That's my mindset. And yet, the Lord has convicted me so many times that people have come up to me and say, hey, can you get that off the top shelf for me? And I just, I ignore them. Or a cash register person wants to chat it up with me, and I'm like, I don't really want to talk today. Interfering with my plans and my schedule, that we would be prepared in any season to preach Christ. 
but also being prepared to understand that you won't have all the answers, and that's okay. I love it when some of you come to me and say, hey, I was sharing Christ with somebody, and I didn't have the answer, so I told them I'd come ask somebody, and I'd go back to them. Perfect. You don't have to have all the answers. And when you do that, that gives you a chance to follow up with them. Be prepared doesn't mean that you have to have all of the answers. Just be faithful. And so I hope we see here this morning the the delight of evangelism, that God is at work and we get to join him in that effort, but also the urgency of evangelism, that that there are people on planet Earth right now who if they die in these moments will spend an eternity in hell. We must go to them, friends. The testimony of Cornelius tells us that when a heart hungers for righteousness and for God, it is the prime moment for salvation. And so we should be full of hope and expectancy this morning, knowing that God will work wonders to connect seeking sinners with obedient heralds of the gospel. So who might you share with today, and where might you go with the greatest news the world has ever known? Let's pray.